0: Hey, we'd like to thank everyone for joining us. My name is Spencer Taylor with Mill Creek Commercial. Uh, appreciate your time and attention here on this webinar on reverse 1031 exchanges. Um, just a few housekeeping uh, items. This webinar is being recorded and will be made available on demand after the completion of this webinar. So we'll send out an email to everyone with a link to this web, to this webinar for you to view it or share it with others. Also, we wanna answer every question we possibly can. So will you please use the Q&A feature at the bottom of, of your screen to ask your questions. You can ask them in real time. We hope to get to some of them real time, but if we don't get to them real time, then we have a dedicated time slot for answering all those questions. And we'll just, I think, answer as many questions as there are, so we wanna to get to every question. So. Without further ado, let me introduce our guest today. Tom Bottenberg is Executive Vice President from FinTech. FinTech is a national 1031 exchange accommodator. They are able to help clients all over the country with traditional forward exchanges and reverse exchanges. One thing that impresses me about FinTech is their process on helping exchangers successfully complete their exchange. There's not a single exchanger out there who doesn't worry about the 45 day deadline, doesn't worry about the 180 day deadline and FinTech helps them complete successful exchanges. So Tom, welcome. Thank you for being with us.
1: Thank you, Spencer. Pleasure to be here as always. Um, exciting to, uh, Talk a little bit about reverses. Uh, as I was kind of mentioning earlier, uh, reverses have become a real timely issue. Um, be, with the inventory as difficult as it is to find, and the fact that um, people are nervous about having that forty-five day identification of the uh, gun to their head, uh, reverses are a great way to actually buy before you sell and kind of take all the heat out of your out of your transaction. So, thanks for inviting me.
0: Well, happy happy to have you here in some ways I suppose this webinars can be viewed a little bit backwards. That's, that's a 1031 <laughs> joke. Anyway, that's the last joke I'm gonna do for the entire month. So Tom, take us, take us through
1: it. Uh, where should Great. we start? Well, let's, let's kind of speak kind of conceptually and talk about what a reverse exchange is and why it's important. And uh, a reverse is basically just a tax-deferred exchange strategy that allows you to buy your replacement property before you sell your relinquished property. So buying before you sell is the big issue with respect to reverse exchanges. And um, why it's important is that the IRS will not allow you to exchange in the property you already own. So if it was your intent to buy a new property because you didn't wanna get yourself uh, put into a corner with respect to identifying within 45 days and you go ahead and buy the new property and then subsequently sell your old property, you can't call that a backwards exchange because the IRS would disallow it by saying that you're exchanged into property you already own. So what they did uh, way back in the day, they created a revenue procedure, Reproc 2000-37, that kind of created a roadmap for how we can actually make this happen and make it, have it uh, happen legitimately. So these are these are kind of the issues that makes ex, uh, reverse exchanges so popular. In fact, I'll tell you, that I have some exchangers now who, regardless of the situation that they're in, they will only do a reverse exchange because it gives you much much greater control of the overall process. And especially now when we're in an area where people are selling larger and larger properties with larger and larger equities, obviously the the corresponding aspect there is that if you're selling a large property with a large gain, your tax liability is gonna be large. And so the stress associated with identifying something within 45 days and pulling it off as a regular exchange goes, goes much, much higher. So that's why a lot of people just prefer to do reverse because it lets you buy before you sell. It eliminates the 1031 identification questions because in a reverse, normally in a regular exchange, you're identifying the property you expect to buy. But the reason why identification is so easy in a reverse is it's the opposite. So you go ahead and close on the new property and then within 45 days, you're actually going to identify the property you intend to sell. That's why uh, identification is so much easier in a reverse exchange. Um, The greater identification control is significant um, because you control much more of the process and the logistics. You're the driving force of the logistics. And then in addition, you get the cash flow from both properties. So I'll give you a perfect example. When you do a reverse exchange, you're going to advance the cash necessary to buy the new property. Once you close that, then you're gonna be earning the cash flow on that property while at the same time until the old property is sold, you're earning the cash flow on that property as well. So you actually have cash flow from two different properties within one exchange, which is a great benefit when you're talking about larger properties with larger cash flows. And for people that can't do a regular standard forward exchange because it ties up too much money too soon, this is a great way to do it. So it's the best mechanism Uh, for doing an exchange, maintaining your cash flow, and maintaining the most control, if that makes sense. Um, Let's talk a little bit about um, uh, the key aspects of reverse exchanges. I mentioned earlier that there is a revenue procedure that basically laid out how we actually have to structure these transactions in order for them to be compliant in the eyes of the IRS. So I mentioned earlier as well that you can't exchange into property you already own. So I can tell you basically how a reverse works is typically, and this is not all the, all the cases, but typically the exchanger is going to advance the funds necessary to buy the replacement property. Okay, so you're effectively gonna buy before you sell. So the exchanger actually writes a check or sends in a wire to the closing attorney or the escrow officer to buy that particular property. But we actually set up um, a qualif- we, we set up what's known by the IRS as an EAT and an exchange accommodation title holder. So if I was buying a property from Mill Creek in Salt Lake City, then I would, we would go ahead and create a Utah LLC, and that Utah LLC will be our EAT. That'll be the uh, exchange accommodation title holder. So once you buy the property in Utah, the property is going to be vested in that LLC and that starts your 45 and 180 day clock. And the whole the whole idea of using an exchange accommodation title holder is that we can actually park the title to that Utah property until such a time as the old property is sold and we can kind of mimic a forward exchange at that point. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, okay. Uh, and and so if, if if questions come up along the way, uh, Spencer, can you just go ahead and and yell them out if, if you'd like to cover them at that point in time? Yeah, uh, I'll do that. Okay. So um, the the exchange accommodation tied to holder has to be um, an LLC that's created by the qualified intermediary. It can't be an LLC that you had set up. It has to be one that is set up in within the parameters of REVPROC 2000-37. And that's an entity created by the QI just for the purposes of parking or warehousing the title. And then in the case of a reverse, probably 90% of the time, the title of the property we're parking is going to be the replacement property, although it is possible for us to park the old property as well. And that's because there's really kind of two ways to do a reverse exchange. And we'll kind of go through those here in a minute. but it's the kind of the overall idea of parking or warehousing the title in the stead of the uh, the exchanger by the intermediary that makes it a reverse exchange. That's what makes it unique. And then this is also kind of the parking concept is also the concept we use when we do what are known as construction or improvement exchanges. So for instance, if you were buying a property that needed to do some improvements, we would go ahead and buy the new property in the name of that LLC, spend your 1031 money improving it. And then once the property is fully improved, then we would we would either deed that new property to you, fully improved so you get all the value of the improvements as well. Um, or in most cases anymore, we just go ahead and assign that LLC to you, okay? The, the, the one caveat going in though, is that you have to realize that just like in a standard forward exchange, all the properties in a reverse need to be what are called like-kind properties, right? And so we all know like-kind, the IRS has a kind of a two-tiered definition of like-kind. That means property held for investment or property held in a productive use of a trader business. So effectively, property held for income or property held for investment, if that makes sense. So there's kind of these two flavors of reverses and then uh, uh, off that off the one of those two we can actually do an improvement exchange there's an exchange last reverse where we do the reverse where we actually acquire title to the replacement property and then we actually do the exchange part of the transaction we warehouse the property first and then we do the exchange at the back end of the 180 day period exchange first is where we flip-flop that usually that's where we actually go on title to the relinquished property but we mimic a simultaneous exchange by warehousing that title at the front end and then the exchange is already done and we just balance the equities in that case and then the third is kind of the improvement or construction exchange uh, that I mentioned a minute ago
0: so Tom I have a question here on an we, improvement on a on an improvement exchange let's say um you identify a property, it's a vacant lot and you wanna build on it, you wanna build a restaurant on it or you know, for McDonald's or something, right? right? When you put that land under contract and you plan to do a reverse exchange, does 180 day clock start to sell your relinquished property or does it start after the, the improvement has completed?
1: So the 180-day the, the clock starts when you close. So the minute that you buy that dirt and it goes in the name of the LLC, that's what starts your 45 and 180-day clock, right? So,
0: so you, you need to have all your construction done, all your improvement done. I mean, I guess with the, within the value of the exchange, you need to have all your improvement done by 180 day, day By
1: done. Yeah, okay, okay, good. But that, that, that brings up a good, a good point. And I, I'm going to make this kind of caveat about reverse exchanges. Um, the reverse exchange concept um, at its at its macro level is pretty obvious and pretty easy to understand, but that's not to say that the water cannot get deep in a hurry yeah. so that kind of you've kind of teed up an idea that we should probably just go ahead and cover at the very beginning because there are the one thing um, a reverse exchange allows you to do is uh, it has an extensibility that's built into it if you want to take advantage of that. But with the extensibility and by extensibility, I mean going past the 180-day safe harbor. But when you go past the 180-day safe harbor, things tend to get a lot more complicated and a lot more expensive. But using your um, example, Spencer, let's yeah. talk about let's talk about a very real construction exchange that happened a while back. And it's a very important uh, exchange because it created some new law. And it's called the Bartell decision. I don't know if any of you people are familiar with Bartel drugs. It's a large drugs chain, drugstore chain up in the Seattle Northwest area. And uh, Bartel wanted to build a new pharmacy. And then they wanted to go ahead and sell an, sell an old drugstore and do a reverse exchange. So what they did is They went ahead and did a reverse construction exchange. So they bought the property and they did all the improvements. They created the the LLC, the EAT, their qualified intermediary created the EAT. Um, The EAT owns the property. Bartell is spending money building this new property. It took them 17 months to complete the construction of that Mm new pharmacy. So we're well, well, well outside of the 180-day window. Right. So that is possible that you can do that in a reverse construction exchange like this. Um, so what happened then is once the, the 17 months was complete and the pharmacy was done, they sold another pharmacy and they completed the reverse exchange and the qualified intermediary assigned the LLC that owned the new pharmacy to Bar- Bartel. And then they went ahead and turned that into the IRS. Mm-hmm. Would you, what do you think the IRS said? when they saw that there was a 17 month reverse exchange, they immediately disallowed it. Yeah. Yeah. So the the whole Bartell case goes to tax court to make a long story short, it was disallowed, but the Bartells prevailed in tax court. And so that reverse construction exchange that took 17 months was upheld. And ironically enough, the IRS did not appeal that decision. So the Bartel rules are now the standard. So we now know that we can go out to about 24 months doing a reverse build-to-suit exchange, and that was using the kind of exchange, um, exchange last model, which this one talks about. Exchange last, you locate your replacement property. The exchanger is basically in any kind of reverse. Typically, the exchanger is lending themselves their own money in most cases. So the exchanger writes a check, closes title to that that piece of dirt or that replacement property. It's vested in the name of the LLC. That starts the 45-day clock. Within 45 days, the, the exchanger identifies one of the old properties they're going to sell. Now let's assume that the old property sells. Two things basically happen at that point, just like a regular exchange. The exchange proceeds are then sent to the qualified intermediary. So the qualified intermediary does two things. The first thing they do is they repay that exchanger for the amount of money they advanced to buy the new property in the beginning. And then the second thing they do is they either deed the new property to them or like we do 99.9% of the time, we just assign the EAT, the LLC to them. So that's basically how an exchange last um, uh, reverse works. That makes sense.
0: is Is that construction exchange more to do with building a property? That 24 month window has more to do with building a property. Does it have anything outside of that that the IRS looks at to say, yeah, okay, you know, we'll we'll
1: approve that? No, you can do you can do construction and improvement exchanges, and we do them all the time. But uh, we understand at that point in time that the 180 day window is pretty much locked in. We make it we got to make sure that if you're if you're just doing um, a remodel or something, let's make sure we get the kitchen and the bathrooms done. And we're going to go ahead and deed it back to you or assign the eat to you on the 179th or 180th day. But a lot of people that are probably watching that are developers or into construction or understands construction. And a lot of times you can't even get permits within 180 days anymore. So yeah. sometimes you're gonna need to kind of, you're gonna need to exercise some type of a Bartell type of approach to actually get all your improvements done within a period that still allows you to do it on a ter- totally tax deferred basis, if that makes sense.
0: And just a note, speak with your QI, call Tom, Outline all the info, share all the info, share all your intent, and then Tom can help navigate those waters because a a QI is going to be able to help you make the right decisions to have a successful exchange.
1: And, you know, as we're we're mentioning uh, QIs, then um, uh, make sure that your QI is properly experienced because, like I said, most reverses are pretty straightforward but the water can get deep in a hurry. You want to make sure that you've you're working with someone that has has done lots and lots of these, so that if something does come up, they have the ability to mitigate it without creating a huge tax liability for you. Good. So let's let's talk uh, for just a minute about an exchange first reverse. This is only about ten or fifteen percent of the transactions that we see. Um, sometimes you'll have a situation where it's not appropriate for the uh, the the eat LLC to go on title to the new property. Usually, this involves something where um, the exchanger has some financing that they need uh, that where the lender will not allow the QI or the or the eat to hold title to the new property. In those cases, what we do is we basically mimic a simultaneous exchange. Exchanges have been around since the since 1921. Um, Up until 1984, all exchanges had to be done on a simultaneous basis, meaning that you had to buy and sell the properties all on the same day. So that's the type of exchange we mimic. And if we have to do an exchange first reverse, it kind of works like this. We try to balance the equities as best that we can, meaning that we need to know how much your property is selling for and what kind of equity you have coming out of it. Because we need to mimic that when you're buying the new property and how much cash you're putting down. So if you have, um, if you have a $50,000 uh, equity and a $50,000 loan on the old property, as you're buying the new property, we need to make sure that as you buy that new replacement property that's going to go in your name, then you have about $50,000 in equity and $50,000 in debt. So what happens is you go ahead through the normal process, you get your loan in place, get everything ready so that you can go ahead and take title to that new replacement property. Then the day before you buy that new property, instead of deeding the EAT, the new property, the old property, your old relinquished property is deeded to the EAT. And then we go ahead and immediately close on the replacement property as though it's a simultaneous or a shortly delayed exchange. Does that make sense? Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Okay, so in that case, you don't have an identification issue because you close uh, you close so quickly um, that that you're uh, you, you've already closed on the replacement property within the 45 day window, which is de facto identification anyway. Um, then later on, once the old property sells, now we've already balanced the equities, so we know the math going into the replacement property is correct, the 50 and 50. So. Once the old property sells, then the intermediary or whoever's the the, the EAT holding the EAT, then they go ahead and they deed off that property to the new buyer. And that completes that complete that that complete exchange. You can see the the logistics are a little bit different. Um, and the reason why there's probably only 10 or 15% of the time is because usually people have the wherewithal to uh, either through their own access to cash or through some kind of a bridge loan or some kind of a cross collateralized loan, they have access to the kind of money it takes to go ahead and buy the new property all cash. And there's actually a new wrinkle that I should mention at this point in time. There is a way now that has just been developed by an associate of ours in conjunction with David Checkman, who's probably the, uh, he's probably the number one or two lawyer in 1031, but there's actually now a way to have uh, if you don't have all the access to the cash, there's a way for a lender to make a loan to the exchanger. And for the EAT, this is in an exchange last scenario. Uh, there's a way for the lender to make a loan to the EAT. And then there's a deed of trust that comes back from the EAT to the lender. So there's a new way to do that. Um, uh, but but that kind, of, that kind of brings us back to the improvement exchange. Um, so Spencer this this deals uh, exactly with um the kind of the question you had where if you buy the dirt and you do the improvements this is your standard typical improvement exchange you locate your replacement property uh the exchanger i uh, advances the cash necessary to buy the dirt the part of the dirt is then vested in the name of the EAT. um and then and then the replacement property is improved with funds from the um uh, from the exchanger either in the form of advancing cash or in some cases we actually do improvement exchanges where this is the back end of a regular exchange so sometimes uh, the the cash is advanced from the QI because we've already they've already sold their old property it's just that they're doing some improvements on a new property so in that case the qualified intermediary buys the buys the replacement property it goes in the name of the eat the improvements are built Once the improvement, uh, improvement, all the improvements are done, then we go ahead and uh, we assign that LC to them. If it's the uh, if it's the other case, and the property sells, then we go and pay them back and then assign them the E. If that makes sense.
0: Hmm. Whoop.
1: So. I mentioned the Bartell case. The Bartell case is a, is, is a more technically described as a non-safe harbor bill to suit exchange, right? So everything within section 1031 deals with most people, uh, probably 99.9% of everybody on this particular webinar, you've done your exchanges and you've done them within the qualified intermediary safe harbor of section 1031 meaning that you're using a qualified intermediary and you always complete your exchange within the 180-day period. But just because you're not using the qualified uh, intermediary safe harbor doesn't mean that you can't go. You can go outside of that. So the minute that you do a non-safe harbor exchange, you're no longer doing a 1031 exchange, you're doing it based upon case law. But these large build-to-suit transactions um, are great ways to take larger properties and larger equities and accomplish what you want to do and still do it on a totally tax-deferred basis. So if you have a big factory and you'd like to build another new factory, uh, this is a great way to do it with a large build-the-suit exchange. Um, I'll tell you right away, uh, they're complex transactions. And so they're going to be an expensive transaction. The exchange fee is not going to be small. So you should be expecting to spend, you know, on a on a big uh, build the suit exchange, I'd expect a ten or a fifteen thousand dollar exchange fee, um, but they're based on case law, um, and as long as your eyes are dotted and your Ts are crossed, and you're working with um, a good lawyer and a qualified uh, intermediary that's done a lot of exchanges, you you should have have no issues. Um, alternatives in terms of doing um, of getting the funds to um, To buy that replacement property, Um, like I said, probably ninety percent of the time, the cash is advanced by the exchanger. They have access to the cash. They realize that they're going to be lending themselves their own money for some period of time. Usually, it's only a matter of a few weeks, while the property is parked in the name of the eat. It is possible to get conventional line uh, financing that's lent to the LLC, but um, it's not easy. I've only, I have only really know of maybe one or two regular banks, one being First Republic, that understands the reverse exchange concept well enough to know that even though they're lending to the EAT, they're actually lending to the exchanger. And in those cases, they usually have the exchanger personally guarantee that loan, or maybe they cross collateralize it, right? Um, another way to do it is you can use a hard money lender somebody that understands the reverse exchange uh, process. Um, Another bank might be, uh, if, if you have some kind of a relationship with a bank that's a portfolio lender, a lot of times they'll do that loan. The problem when you're going to a bank to try and get a conventional loan is that so many banks are turning around and selling those loans quickly that they're gonna make you jump through the hoops necessary to qualify with respect to underwriting guidelines from Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac. So there's a lot of times that they'll just refuse to lend to the EAT LLC. So that's that's one of the difficult uh, pieces, but that's where the new wrinkle that we've developed uh, with Stan Freeman uh, and David Sheffman comes in mind is where uh, we can actually have a bank um, lend to the exchanger, not to the EAT, but the EAT gives back a deed of trust hmm. um, to the lender. And then the other, the other uh, besides using hard money, it is possible to maybe use a seller carryback financing or something like that in your replacement property. A lot of times sellers um, of that replacement property will realize, yeah, I can I can wait a little bit longer for my money. This guy's got plenty of equity in his old property. You can cross collateralize a, a loan and deed of trust. So sometimes the, the seller will work with you on that. So those are kind of the issues around financing a reverse, which can sometimes represent a pretty significant wrinkle. You need to be aware of these are the types of obstacles that you're gonna to have to contend with in order to have a successful reverse exchange, if that makes sense. So start those conversations early, right? Start those conversations early, get everybody in the loop. So if you, if you wanna take advantage of, of the benefits of a reverse exchange because you're able to buy before you sell, you can find the ideal replacement property rather than have a 45-day gun to your head, you gotta realize that there's gonna be a couple of hoops that you're gonna have to jump through. One is how am I gonna finance that replacement property purchase? Uh, is that seller willing to carry back some paperwork uh, for me and, and work with me a little bit? Um, do I have a bank that will lend to me or will they lend to my EAT? And, they, and they're sophisticated enough at my lender that they understand why a reverse exchange has to be done this way. If you're going to do a reverse exchange, it has to be done pursuant to Revproc 2000-37. There, you can't you can't engineer your own way to do a reverse exchange and expect it to hold up through any kind of an audit. So you have to realize that there there are the the benefits are absolutely massive, absolutely massive, but there are a couple of hoops. I um, will uh, give you a perfect example is. Spencer, and I know this well, there was a time a year or so ago where uh, you couldn't buy a Milk Creek. Milk Creek properties were selling out in about 20 minutes. And so there were times where the only way to buy a Milk Creek property, because if you wanted to buy it next week, oh, that property, yeah, that Walgreens, uh, you know, or or that urgent care is not going to be available. So the only way to buy it is to do it as a reverse. Okay, I'll advance the money. I'm going to buy the Mill Creek property today, and then I'll go ahead and put my property on the market next Wednesday. And it all closed out pretty quick. And But that was the only way to do it. Uh, the market's not quite that, quite that uh, intense right now, but you do still have a situation where the inventory is pretty tight. And the one key thing that all these things have in common is uh, all exchanges are great but the most difficult part of any kind of an exchange is finding a suitable replacement property that you want to buy. And so that's why reverse exchanges are so popular, is people love being able to find the ideal property and not feeling like they're accepting something that's that's kind of a second or a third tier property with respect to what they wanted to buy originally, if that helps. Mm-hmm. Um, I can give you a couple of uh, uh, yeah. Let's, let's talk, talk about a couple scenario, real life scenarios, right? So you currently own a rental house that has some deferred maintenance, and uh, you've had it up to here with tenants. I'm sure, I'm sure other people have heard that. You'd like to sell your rental property and use your 1031 funds to transition into a management-free investment property. You've already found the perfect Mill Creek property um, with uh, with built-in uh, rent increases and everything you want. The problem is, is that you still have some significant repairs to make on your current property before it's ready to go on the market. Um, so this is a way, th- this is a perfect example of how you can use a reverse um, to solve your problem, right? So use a reverse, complete the purchase using cash on hand or take out a private loan. Uh, the QI holds title uh, for you in and an EAT until your old property sells. And then, uh, and then once your old property sells, the EAT is assigned to you. You don't have to wait till your old property is repaired and sold. And you get, the, uh, you get the two cash flows during the entire time your property's up for sale and you can totally defer your capital gain that way. So there's kind of one, one kind of realistic scenario. Here's another one. Um, uh, a neighbor tells you about an opportunity to buy a single family rental home in a great neighborhood but it's really run down and needs 200,000 of improvements. So you can see, this is another great way to use the reverse exchange concept, right? Uh, the problem is the property is only gonna be available for a short tier period. You know that that property, even though it has a lot of maintenance and needs to be repaired, the price is right and it's not gonna be available if you're gonna have to take a long time to get your property sold. Um, and you, uh, you can't make a, uh, improvements on it. You can't buy it and do the improve- improvements your own so you have to do it as reverse. So you use a reverse where you acquire the new property now and complete the necessary improvements within the 180 day window. Title of the property again is going to be held in that eat that LLC. Um and then this this requires the exchanger to advance the to uh, uh, the cost of the purchase and the improvements. Then when your old property sells then you pay we pay you back and then we go ahead and uh, assign the eat to you. So uh that's another real life scenario. Here's a, here's a, here's a, a third, um, you own a, a strip center. You've had it for a long time. It's appreciated great. Um, and in fact, uh, because, you, because you're familiar with the logistics and owning and managing the center, you'd like, uh, you'd like to have a bigger one, but uh, one that's newly constructed so you don't have any uh, deferred maintenance issue. So you'd like to build a new strip center that the construction is going to take way more than 180 days. So you can sell. You can already tell what the solution is, right? You're going to do a build to suit, non-safe harbor exchange where you go ahead and buy that land, do all those improvements, do the brand new strip center um, so it's bigger, it's newer, better rents, everything you ever wanted. And you can still do it on a tax-deferred basis using a non-safe harbor build to suit right? And uh, so that's the kind of the third, uh, there's third scenario. And then I should d- repeat the, the caveat is if you're talking about non-safe harbor transactions that go outside of that 180 day window, remember uh, the water could get deep in a hurry. Uh, it can get complex and it can get expensive. But with that, uh,
0: what, with- one, one thing that's interesting about these reverses is the landlord, the owner's the owner's agent, the owner's broker, they kind of know, okay, the value. They kind of know, they have a good sense of how long it will take to get under contract. At least a lot of owners know, okay, if I put this fourplex up, I know it's going to get under contract in 12 days because I have people calling me once a week. Hey, are you interested in selling, right? They They have a sense of that. So it's easy to say, okay, I'm buying my replacement property first, knowing that, okay, I have 45 days to identify what I'm going to sell, then 180 days to close. That is more than enough time to unload uh, this fourplex or whatever duplex. And I, I won't feel pressure to take the first offer that comes to the table. Right. There's there's just that that calm, that calm in the middle of a of a storm that often happens when you do a forward exchange where you decide to sell. And now you're, I mean, Tom, you've mentioned this, that 45 day window feels like, four, feels like 90 days when it starts and feels like 10 days when, it, and when you're approaching the end, like where did all the time go?
1: Well, and it's, it's Spencer, it's like we were talking earlier before the call, is any more the people that you and I talk to every day they're selling stuff for real money. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, real money where the equities are large, and so the gains are huge. Huge, and a lot of these people, th- there's a lot of cases where th- they don't have the equity to pay the tax. Yeah, you know, yeah. and so if you have a huge, um, if you have a huge tax liability, you owe it to yourself to be the absolute best steward of that asset. It took you a long time to develop that equity. Yeah, right. I like I say. So, you, you owe it to yourself to be the best steward of that asset. And a lot of cases, using a reverse exchange is the smart way to go because I can tell you from experience, there's nothing worse. And you've had to take these calls, Spencer. Mm-hmm. You and I both know there's nothing worse than on the 43rd day, I get a call and someone has made five offers and they got laughed out of the room five different times. And they're going to have to write a seven-fifth figure check to the government. And and I tell them, Paul uh, Spencer, you know, uh, send him a gift card, beg whatever you got to <laughs> do, you know, buy, send it, you know, you know, send him a shower gift or something, sure. and 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 get on his get on his best side because he's your only bet to get something identified within two, within two days. Yeah. Otherwise, you're going to write a check that you can't afford to write, yeah. and so. That that pressure is 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 visceral, it's palpable, it's real, it's real. I've I've seen people really panic and it's different if you're selling a hundred and fifty thousand dollar condo, you know, but if you're selling something for a couple million bucks or more, uh that pressure is real.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, so reminder, QA is open. Any questions, please feel free because we want to answer all these. So Okay, I like this question from Tim. All right, Tom.
1: Yeah. Does it need to
0: be in the continuous U.S., meaning fifty states, or can it be in a U.S. territory? So, what's the rule with that?
1: It's um, it's kind of tricky. So, it's it's usually just to stay in the U.S., um, although. You can do stuff like in the Virgin Islands and Guam, but like Puerto Rico, you can't. So it makes it uh, makes it tough to answer. It depends on exactly where it is.
0: Yeah, and and we'll let Parker, our our uh, associate here, our colleague, help uh, field these questions. So Parker, help us help us uh, fill these questions here.
2: Perfect. Okay, so this next question is from Roman. Um, he prefaces by saying, in the typical 1031 exchange, you have to own your property for two years. In the reverse, do you have to own the property that you're selling for two years when you buy the new one? Or does that two-year period fall within the 180-day period to sell? It?
0: Good question.
1: Well, here's the here, here's the vicious answer. is The two-year period is not the law. Uh, the law is... You have to hold a property for like-kind purposes. So it has to be held for investment or held for income. There is no real hard and fast holding period. If you've talked to a CPA and they say there's a two-year holding period, uh, that that they'd like to think there's a two-year holding period, but there really isn't. This is your risk. If you do something in less than two years, you're putting yourself at risk that if you are audited, the IRS is gonna say, Show me your like-kind, how you qualify in the like-kind respect. Did you hold that for investment or did you hold it for inventory? Were you holding for sale? Were you trying to flip something so in order, in, instead of being held for income, it was held to be resold? Those are the kind of things that put you at risk. So there is no real hard and fast holding period. But if you can, if you can meet the like-kind test, uh, that's the best way to go.
0: What, one of my yep. favorite examples on this, Tom, and correct me if I don't have all details accurate, but you know, someone wants to do an exchange. They identify a property. They put it under contract. They're so excited. It's going to meet the needs of all their portfolio. They can't wait to use it as a an investment property, right? And then they close on it. And it funds and everything close. And And then three days later, they get an email from someone who wants to buy it for three times more than what they bought it for. Yeah. And if they decide to sell, how is that that within the confines of, of a 1031 exchange?
1: Well, I would say that if you had that listed for sale, you're probably a dead duck. Yeah, but me, if, if it's truly yeah. if it's truly a, an offer that came in through the transom that you didn't know about, yeah. Are you going to meet the facts and circumstances test when the IRS comes to you and says, hey, show me where you held that for investment? If you've held that for investment and you can show some rent receipts and stuff like that, technically you've met the help, the held for requirement of like kind property.
0: But uh to Tom's point, if you if you have an intent to just turn around and flip it. And, you, and you're lining up a buyer before your intent clearly shows you're you're holding it for sale.
1: In fact, I can tell you way way back in the day when uh, I had first started in 1031, I was working with this law firm in Oakland. We had a guy that bought a property, and then he 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 uh, this 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 is how far back it goes. Uh, he put an ad in the paper to rent this property, <laughs> right? And then he put a second ad, and then a third ad. And he had ads in this property for ninety days, and he it was still empty, and it was starting to kill him financially, wow. yeah, so he ended up if if he wanted to avoid a foreclosure, he had no choice he had to move into that property,
0: yeah,
1: so he had to make that property his um personal residence and um does that exchange still work? yeah, I think it works because he he was able to prove that hey. I held it for investment. I was trying to rent it. But, you know, uh, real life happened in the meantime, and I had no choice. Uh, I would lose it or I could move into it. So that's what he did.
0: And gone are the days where we have to put an ad in the paper.
1: Yeah, it was. uh, It was. You're still too young, uh, Spencer, but that's when they cut down trees. They took those trees to a to a big factory and they cut it in real tiny little sheets yeah. where you could actually use a pen and write things on it. That's what the paper was.
0: My parents told me when you handled the newspaper, your fingers got black, but I don't understand why. It is true.
1: Yeah. It is true. Yeah. yeah.
0: When you're oh, okay. when you're
1: on your tablet, your fingers are always uh, <laughs> are always clean. It's not yeah. like uh, ink on <laughs> ink on ink on dead trees.
0: Okay, uh, Parker. What's the what's the next question here?
2: All right. So the next question. Uh, was asked, can you discuss the various cost elements involved in a reverse exchange and what those costs may run for an exchanger? How might those costs differ from those involved in a standard exchange?
1: Well, a standard exchange, uh, the the fees like a thousand bucks all in, something like that. When you're talking about a reverse, depending on how expensive the properties are and how complicated a deal, or if there's multiple properties involved, it probably starts at about. Um, seven grand, and it can go up higher than that. If you're talking about non-safe harbor, where you know upfront you're going outside of the 180 day window, you're probably talking about twelve, thirteen thousand dollars $13,000 and going up from there. Um, in addition to that, you're going to be required to pay for the LLC fees, because what happens is if you're buying a replacement property, we will try to create that LLC in the state of the replacement property that you're buying. So if you're buying something in Nevada, we'll create an LLC. And so whatever the fees are, those vary from state to state. So Whatever the fees are for that LLC, you'll also be responsible for covering those kinds of fees. So I would think at the bottom end, uh, probably $7,500 exchange fee, probably at least $250, $300 worth of EAT fees, something like that.
2: Great. So the next question um, alludes to something that was stated earlier in the webinar. Um, This person asks, what is the name of the conventional bank lender that was mentioned that is very familiar with this process?
1: Well, I mentioned it was First Republic Bank, but that was before they were on the watch list. So um, Hmm. First Republic Bank is um, is is the bank that uh, I've seen enough transactions go through that I actually know the people that do the loan underwriting actually understand that in a reverse, you're simply using the reverse process to effectuate an exchange to be compliant with Reproc 2037. So they actually know that it's really you that they're lending to not the EAT. Uh, They also know that they're only lending the the qualified intermediary will only be on title to that piece of the LLC uh for a short period of time. So what what ha- actually happens is when that LLC that exchange accommodation title holder is created, the exchanger is going to be the contact and the and the manager of that LLC. The owner is going to be the qualified intermediary. So that way later on when the when the LLC is assigned back to the exchanger, it's the ownership interest that is being assigned back to the to the exchanger. That way once the exchange is done, they'll be both the manager of the LLC as well as the member or the owner of the ownership interest of that LLC if that helps.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So if you're if you're talking about uh, let's talk about lenders again. So First Republic Bank is is a is a commercial bank that I've seen make these loans. Um, I've seen a thousand that won't make them. Um, but the one thing if you are going to your bank to ask them, make sure they're a portfolio lender. If they're a lender who's, who knows you and you have a relationship with them, you're you're way ahead of the game. If they're a portfolio lender where they're going to keep that loan in their portfolio for a little bit of time, then you have a legit shot at getting a loan from them. If they're just gonna turn around and sell that loan to Fannie Mae or Fannie Mac, save your breath, because it's not gonna happen there. That's why you might wanna have, um, and if, if you ping me, Uh, After this, I can give you the names of a couple people that can do private money loans and stuff like that, but that's going to be your best bet. If you can't find a portfolio lender, think in terms of a hard money loan or asking that seller who's selling that replacement property to carry back property, carry back paper for you.
2: All right. The next question um, is asked, will the slide deck be available um, after the webinar?
1: Sure. Why not?
2: Okay, perfect. Okay,
0: okay, now, this is, okay, with me. Yeah, yeah, of course. This is being recorded. And so everyone uh, who attended or registered will get a link to view this on demand, this this webinar on demand, and they can share it if they'd like to.
2: Perfect. The next question asks says, does a reverse improvement exchange require that the improvements be done within a specific timeframe?
1: Yeah, you need to do it within the 180-day window, unless you're going to extend it. If if you're going to extend and go past the 180-day window, you can. But there's one caveat you have to keep in mind. In the Bartell situation, they went out 17 months, right? But one thing that you got to keep in mind, whenever you sell in a situation where there's a reverse and the and the replacement property is held by the LLC, um, that 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 clock is running up until the point that you sell the relinquished property. The minute you sell your relinquished property, the most time you have is 180 days from that window. So that's why Bartel was able to go out 17 months. They didn't sell anything that would have, that would have uh, compressed that time frame down to 180 days. If, does that make sense? So once, if you buy the new replacement property and we're doing those improvements, the minute that you sell the old property, that day, you only have 180 days left to complete your whole reverse exchange, if that makes yeah. sense.
0: Tom, um, let, me, let me throw a little scenario at you. Let's say somebody wants to do an exchange for $3 million, or they sold the property for $3 million, and they want to buy a $4 million building, and it requires $500,000 of improvement, right? Um, do those improvements need to be done before the 180 days?
1: um so they're selling for 4 million and they're and they're, they're buying they're something for, that, they're they're
0: selling for 3 million okay they're buying a 4 million dollar building which includes um like improvements of 500 so all in it all yeah. in a 4 million
1: so yeah so in that case they're buying up already so they don't they don't need to worry about it they can just go ahead and do a regular exchange
0: which means their their value of their exchange is already in the right, building covered Right. And any improvements is above and beyond that three million dollars. Right,
1: because if if we go back to, if we go back to the cheaters math that Spencer and I use every day, um, <laughs> and Spencer and I will let you know this cheaters math math as long as you swear yourself to silence that you heard it from us. So, if you want to have a totally tax free deal, you basically need to do three things: one, buy a replacement property that's equal or greater than your net selling price. So if you're selling for $100,000 and you have a $10,000 in closing costs and commissions, try to aim towards that $90,000 delta on your replacement property. Uh Number two, move all the cash, move all that equity from the old property into the new property. And then three, replace your debt. So if you have a $50,000 loan on the old, make sure you have $50,000 loan on the new property. And if you do those three things, It'll be totally tax free now to the extent it doesn't mean you have to do it that way to the extent that you buy down in value or if you hold back cash or if you don't replace your debt, you'll owe tax on the difference. For instance, I, I had a guy who was doing an exchange the other day and he said, uh, now the first thing I got to do is I got to hold out $35,000 to buy my wife a new Honda and I said that's going to be the most expensive Honda anybody ever bought. <laughs> <laughs> because you have to pay tax on that thirty-five grand before you can buy her the new Honda. And he goes, ah, I, think she'll stick with the current one then. So, um, but that's a kind of cheater's math in the 10%. Kind
0: of the other side of that coin is okay. You do a three million, you sell a building for three million dollars, you buy a two and a half million dollar building that needs five hundred thousand worth of improvement. The last nail, so to speak, has to be done before the hundred. The last nail has exactly. to be hammered before the 180 days. Exactly right, and, and because
1: um, because we're gonna we're going to sign that LLC to you, whether you like or not. We don't want to own your property, so, so you, yeah. you're going to be an owner on day 180. I guarantee yeah. you. Yeah. Good.
0: Thank you, Tom. Okay. Next question.
2: All right. So the next question says. In the situation where you buy a home, let's say you buy it for one million and you put two hundred thousand dollars into fixing it up, does this put your base price of the new purchase at one point two million?
1: Was that a trick question?
0: It increases. I don't think so. It increases your basis.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So your basis—that's the whole point in ten thirty-one, right—is that your basis always follows you around, right? So. What is your basis? Your basis is whatever you bought your you bought your property for minus whatever you've depreciated plus whatever you've improved, right? So if you buy for a million and you improve at 200,000, you now have a $1.2 million basis, right? Yeah. Likewise, in a 1031 exchange, you're going to be moving your million to... That, that cost basis, that adjusted basis of a million two, you're gonna be moving that into a new property. And so your new adjusted basis on your new replacement property will effectively be that uh, new purchase price minus whatever gain you deferred. That's why your your gain always follows you around, right? That's where the expression "drop, swap till you drop. So if you have a living trust, which Everybody on this seminar, on this webinar, should have a living trust. If you have a living trust and you exchange up, exchange up, exchange up, exchange up, and then you die and pat that, that trust, the properties in your trust go to your kids and they get the fully stepped up basis. Nobody ever pays the tax. So that's why mm-hmm. 1031 has been called the greatest wealth building tool still left in the Internal Revenue Code. Yeah. Great. So
2: this next question says, I understand you stress the non safe harbors are based in federal case law. What about California state law? California seems to go draconian measures to track an exchange. So the question is, will this case law exchange pass California regulators as well?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The franchise, California Franchise Tax Board is, is, um, They try to be difficult, but uh, there's reciprocity between the laws. And as long as you dot your I's and cross your T's, uh, the federal law will prevail because there's reciprocity there. California does have that weird uh, clawback law though. So for instance, if you sell a property in California and you exchange into something in Florida, um, you have to file this little 3840, a little uh, postcard every year until such a time as you have a taxable event so say five years from now when you sell florida gavin Newsom in california is going to expect his share of the gain that you earned while you own property in california
0: mm-hmm.
1: so now i've i've had lots of california exchangers tell me that <laughs> how, how would gavin know he'll never know if i never filed that thing how will he know he'll never know and but then i've also had people to say no i last thing I want is Gavin chasing me. I'll just fill out the dump form. so you know never- <laughs> All
2: right. Our next question says ten thirty one exchanges require that the exchanger put the same or more equity into a replacement property. If I have substantial e- if I have substantial equity in the selling property, how can I do a reverse exchange?
1: well, that's that's always the that's always the wrinkle, right? The, the tough part is if you have big equity in your property, um, you, you're gonna have to put, if you're gonna do like an exchange first, you're gonna have to match those equities, right? Because the whole object is you need to move the old, you, you need to move all the cash from the old into the new. Um, so one one way to, to to address that maybe is, and, and this, this brings to uh, a, a point that is probably good that Spencer and i kind of kind of tell people from often is the one time you do not want to manipulate the equity or the debt is in the middle of an exchange because if you manipulate how much equity you have or the debt in an exchange you're going to cause yourself a taxable event but if you're if you're thinking about maybe doing an exchange and you want access to some tax free cash you want to be like the guy that wanted to buy a honda refinance your property at least six months ahead of the time you sell because borrowing in and of itself does not trigger a taxable event. And if you can't do that, then go ahead and buy your new property. If you have all that equity, move all that equity into your new property. And then the day after you close on that new property, then refinance it and pull your money out tax-free that way. But that's the only way you're going to get access to tax-free cash in a situation like that.
0: I was about to ask you, would, how would a HELOC, would a HELOC be beneficial if you're, if you're hundred percent, you know, no debt, hundred percent equity, right? You could pull out half, for example, buy with a loan on your replacement property and then sell the, sell the relinquished property. And then
1: I was on a, I was on a zoom earlier this morning with an investor and he told me that he had a property that had no debt. And I asked him, is that legal? I know it's un-American, but uh, is that legal? And he says, it's legal to have no doubt, believe me.
2: All righty. So this next question refers to uh, one of the examples you were talking about earlier, Tom. Says, why were they allowed to go out 17 months? How do you do that kind of
1: exchange? So the reason they were able to do it 17 months is they knew going in that they weren't going to do a 1031 exchange. They knew that they were going to do a tax deferred exchange based upon case law, meaning that as long as they dotted their I's and crossed their T's, um, they would have an indeterminate amount of time. Now, the, the reason they ended up with 17 months, you'll remember in that case, they went ahead and reported that exchange and it was immediately disallowed. They only won in tax court and then it wasn't appealed. So that's how they actually got out to 17 months is they had to go through tax court to get it approved. But since then, Bartell can be the measurement by which we use, we can use that Bartell case law for our benefit. That means we can go at least 17 months or more.
2: All right, this next question says, if you do a reverse exchange and buy down in price and create boot, does this mess up the exchange? In a straight up 1031 exchange, you would pay tax on the
1: boot, correct? Same as same in a reverse. If you pay, if you trade down, you still owe boot.
2: All right. And this is the last question we have in the queue. Um, they ask. If I buy a beach house rental and I'm getting money to make repairs for the seller, the closing attorney tags the money to go to a GC, which I have bids from before closing. When I close, the attorney is holding that money in an escrow and dispersing that to the uh, to the GC as the improvements are made post-sale. Does that work?
1: What do you guys think? Do you think that works?
0: My understanding is the QI needs
1: to hold the funds and then and send exactly. it to the... Right. That looks like that looks like is the minute that Patty buys the beach house, even though she has that money coming in to pay for the improvements, um, those improvements aren't going to count towards her exchange because she she's going to be exchanging those new improvements to represent new replacement property, and she's ex- essentially buying into property that she already owns. So, that's a case where you'd still need to have the eat set up to hold title to the property during that period of time where those extra improvements are are put in. That way, uh, unless you don't need the, unless you don't need um, the higher value to offset something you sold, like that one case that Spencer was talking about, if um, if if buying the beach house is enough to, to give you a totally tax-free deal, then don't worry about it, if that yeah. makes sense.
0: Tom, um, do you have a slide with your contact info? Uh, to all of our listeners thank you so much this has been a pleasure i know this can seem daunting confusing first this and second whatever i would i would just encourage you if you have questions reach out to tom share your scenario with him he'll be able to kind of go into depth all we wanted to do here was just provide you know like a 30,000 foot view <laughs> like enough to say what what questions do I have and what direction do I need to head down with um, um, Tom? So uh, anyway, thank you all. Tom, any parting thoughts you want to share with our audience before we kind of hit stop record and end?
1: Um, The only thing I would say is that um, don't forget that reverses are just like have proven themselves now like we've been watching this for how long now, Spencer, reverses are just a great solution. It solves a lot of problems because it allows you a little bit of a window of flexibility to get other things done. Because while that property is being held by the E LLC and the QI, that allows you to manipulate the debt and do all the other things you need to do and get things done and still do it on a tax-free basis. So uh, I don't think that the the flexibility and the ability to have greater control over the transaction, it's not gonna get less popular from now and into the future. So just uh, you know, go ahead and file that and there's uh, another arrow in your quiver um, because if you're a broker or if you're an investor, it's a great way you have an extra tool to accomplish those things that you wanna do. And like we were saying earlier, the bottom line is that if you're a real estate investor you kind of owe it to yourself to be the best steward of those assets as you can. Um, just like um, uh, the Mill Creek opportunities are are so great because I have people literally every day that the first thing they I can already always tell the first question or the first comment out of their mouth is I've had it up here with tenants, you know I'm tired of uh, COVID and uh, uh, rent moratoriums. I want to go into something. That's passive. That pays me six percent. (laughs) Yeah. Like, okay, that that makes it easy. Then call Spencer. Yeah. Um, But uh, uh, the reverse exchange, those types of solutions, and and a reverse is a great solution and a great mechanism. uh, Make them available to you, and and, uh, it'll just make your life as an investor a lot easier. Tom Bottenberg,
0: thank you so much. You're such a great friend, and you provide such a great service. I don't know of anyone who hasn't been five star satisfied with fintech and what you guys do over there so thank you appreciate
1: it there commodore
0: thank you and to all of our our audience thank you for joining us we sure appreciate it we hope this has been valuable and a little entertaining and a little educational so um when you when you uh see the email with the link feel free to share it with a friend we would we would uh consider that to be the ultimate compliment uh okay thanks all have a good day thanks
1: see you guys